Portobello Port Talk, Talk Radio, the official state broadcaster of the People's Republic of North Kensington, where the truth comes first. The future is yet to be written. Yes, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for bearing with us. It's the Friday before Carnival, so obviously um, we're all a bit discombobulated and doolally. But we are delighted to offer the Pavilion Hive Talks, which are the, uh, as you probably know, ladies and gentlemen, the, uh, there's a COVID crisis and we've been unable to build a pop-up pavilion in Power Square, perfect for curious summer minds. But instead, we have migrated online, and some of that has been here on Ports Pillar Radio. We have had regular talks at 6 p.m. for the last two weeks. We've touched on all sorts of subjects, um, from the sublime to the ridiculous. I'm about to talk to it, Teresa. Is it, sorry, is it Teresa or Teresa? It's Teresa. Teresa, yeah. <laughs> so the, the first Teresa, time was better. The uh, Teresa, you are there is in Holland. Is it in Amsterdam or Rotterdam? Uh, in Amsterdam. We're in Amsterdam. In Amsterdam. Yeah. Um, this is uh, one of the talks that we have been able to put on uh, thanks to the collaboration of the Royal Netherlands Embassy in South Kensington. So thank you for that. Um, now, Teresa, you run an organization called Fossil Free Culture, and uh, I'm delighted to say it does what it says on the tin. That's, you, you aim for, for a culture that is free of the fossil fuel industry. Yeah, that's right. Um, well, I, we, we're Fossil Free Culture Netherlands, because Fossil Free Culture is actually the name of the movement. There are many groups around the world aiming for the same goal. The same aim. And Fossil Free Culture the Netherlands is a group of artists and collective, uh, sorry, a collective of artists um, and activists that are using art to remove uh, oil and gas uh, sponsorship from cultural institutions. And that would be the first step um, in order to reach a fossil free culture, culture be without fossil fuels. Yeah. Because, I mean, I don't know, ladies and gentlemen, if you, next time you visit one of the major, or even a kind of medium museum, if you start looking around at some of the posters and some of the engraved um, bricks in the wall, you will see the names of the polluters come up time and time again. And it's been a real, um, it's been a real dilemma, hasn't it, for some of the major uh, cultural institutions because for years they have depended on what we might call dirty money uh, that dirty money has allowed them to put on real blockbuster exhibitions and you know increase the accessibility to art but at the end of the day if it says ESSO or BP or Shell or INEOS in big letters it's encouraging the continuation of fossil fuels yeah, exactly. Um, we think that fossil fuels need social acceptance. They need what is called a social license to operate, and that's like a tacit license that we, as a society, give them to continue their operations. And we give them that license through relationships, uh, and they build relationships with cultural institutions, but also with uh, education, uh, universities. Um, well, they're all over uh, the government, um politics and 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 yeah you can name more of those 
And so we focus because we are mainly artists and that our the cultural sector is our uh, arena. So we focus on removing the pillar of support, that's how we call them, the, the, the support that they receive through cultural institutions. And um, I mean, I think the focus of what we're going to talk about tonight, I think most people who are listening today will agree that we have to move on beyond fossil fuels. Most people would agree that we've got to remove the tacit um, support for fossil fuel companies, which we allow by letting, letting them put their brand all over our cultural institutions. But what is special about you guys is you've had an amazing uh, success rate. You had a hit list of 10 cultural institutions when you started, and you've pretty much worked five of them off your list. When, when did you start your operation, and how did you, you draw up that list, and what was the first thing you did? We started in 2016 with a first uh, performance in the Van Gogh Museum. Well, we started actually releasing that list publicly. Um, I don't remember if it was then or, but, but you did your research better than me. <laughs> um, but yeah, we started in 2016 and we chose to start targeting the Van Gogh Museum uh, in Amsterdam that received money from uh, Shell. And so we did our first performance uh, in the in the museum, yeah, at the end of 2016, and we kept on doing performances. I think we did about six or seven of those, um, all disobedient, without uh, announcing them, without uh, negotiating with the uh, with institution, without asking for permission, uh, or they were all a surprise uh, performances. Uh, so we did those throughout. 2017, 18, and in 2019, um, after uh, three performances that we carried out in the period of five weeks, so it was a short time, one after the other, pam, pam, pam. Uh, after the last one, they decided to stop the sponsorship because we were like causing too much trouble. And, um, so, uh, 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 and, and like that, it spread, and, and other, um, museums like the Maritz House, where the girl with a pearl earring is, and uh, and another uh, science museum also dropped at the same time, and other in cultural institutions have dropped along the way, but we, we haven't targeted them specifically. So, um, when you say performance, what did you do? Yeah. What, tell, could you describe your your very first performance? How how many in your group? How did, how did you constitute? How did you come together? to decide this was what you wanted to do next? Yeah, so we're a collective of artists. We are uh, at the moment two artists and, and, and uh, uh, yeah, it, it rotates. I mean, we're not a fixed group, um, but the performances are actually designed by, by me and my partner or, or colleague, Daniela. And, um, and, and then we, call out to all our network of uh, artists and activists performance to 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 carry them out um, and organize them with us but the basic idea is is yeah, conceived by by two art artists 
and um, and that's how we've been working along the way with a lot of input and, and creativity from all our networks. So it's not that we decide and with I mean out of the blue, but it all comes about through collaboration, through brain collective brainstorms. Um, so what uh, what did you yeah. do the very first day? It's the yeah. Van Gogh Museum, which is in the middle of Amsterdam, isn't it? Um, what time of day? What happened? Tell us the story. What the, the very first one. Yeah, the very first one. Yeah. The very first one was um, during a, a temporary exhibition that the Vagog Museum was holding. They were they were showing a, uh, an exhibition about Van Gogh's uh, illness. Mm -hmm. uh, so they, in which they explored um, the illness that he had uh, the last uh, years that ended up in, a, in suicide, as we all know, mm -hmm. and, and all the diagnosis that, he, that Van Gogh received, all these possible illness, because it was, was never concluded what he had. Mm -hmm. So we took uh, that as inspiration and exposed the illness of, of the museum receiving money from, um, from a fossil fuel company. The shell was intoxicating the arts, and that was the, the slogan that we used. So what we did was we had, we trained four um, um, male performers that would represent Van Gogh, and they all were performing a different disease. Um, and they were all clearly uh, being intoxicated by oil. So one was carrying um, an IV, an oil, uh, a black oil IV in, in, in his arm uh, stuff, and the uh, another one was vomiting oil, another one was crying oil, the depressed one, and um, so there was oil, oil all over their bodies. And um, yeah. So this is right oil in the middle of the museum? Right in the middle, inside the museum, in the main hall. Um, so we were four performers, sorry, four male performers and two um, nurses or, or mm -hmm. there, yeah, that were, we needed to take care of these sick people. And, and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and what happened? How long did this take? How long did, were you able to perform your action before something happened? Well, at that moment, like about 10 or 15 minutes, minutes, which was enough to carry out the whole performance until, until the security uh, realized what was going on and intervened. And then we were just asked to leave uh, the, the institution, and we did. Um, and then, yeah. So there's there's been many of those uh, stories. And and how how um, how did you how did you make that impactful? Did you have you know friendly TV reporters standing by, or what? How did you make sure that everybody knew about that? Well, that didn't happen until the second performance, um, in which it was. That was like seven women dressed in white, carrying scallop shells, drinking from them, uh, oh, again, a black oily substance. Mm -hmm. Since we couldn't swallow it, we dropped it. And you had like this beautiful image of these seven women spilling a little bit of oil through their mouths and dresses. And that happened again in the, in the main hall of the museum. And in the, they had this beautiful glass staircase. And at that, after that performance, 
the security panicked and they called the police on us. Uh, so that created a lot of media attention because of the contrast be between the very peaceful and, and beautiful image that we created and the aggressive um, reaction of the museum. So it was action and reaction. And, um, and the contrast was enough to create a lot of yeah, public indignation, public uh, uproar, and, and the media got interested. And so we w went all over the news. And yeah, we, in that moment, we became very well known. Yeah. And, um, and a lot of bad publicity for the museum. How did you communicate your demands? Could, could people read that in the performance or did you also deliver yeah. a set of demands? Yeah. Um, during the performance, we always um, distribute leaflets. Mm -hmm. we, we, copy, we copy exactly the same um, style of the leaflets of the museum with the same corporate image, the same, and they look exactly the same. And we distribute them among the public, but with our message, with our demands, with the story, uh, with the narrative. And, and that's how the public um, learns what it is about. And then outside of the, of the public, of the physical public at that moment, we communicate through social media and on our website. And we send press, I mean, yeah, we, we make sure that the story goes as, as, as wide as possible. That's fantastic. So, Tell us about a little bit about the time scale. You started your first action was 2016. What, how long did it take before you began to have an effect on these, you know, these major institutions, which are, let's face it, very conservative? Yeah, uh, well, the, the, the following year in 2017, they, we started having an effect after this uh, uh, performance. And they invited us for a, a conversation because they started to take us seriously. But it didn't take until uh, it, it, it took a, two years until they dropped. And, and now we are busy with a, a concert hall, the Royal um, Concert Hall, and they are yeah they they just opened the doors after the pandemic. Um, so we are now going to continue with that. That is fantastic. So um, you started at the Van Gogh Museum. Um, were they the entire focus of your efforts when you first began? That was the entire focus, yeah, because we, we think it's more effective to, to target one institution and keep on keep on going with the same, like keep on coming back, keep on coming back and, and pressing them. And, and it worked because at the end, they not only dropped, but they, it was contagious. Uh, two other institutions dropped at the same time. And there was definitely a coordination among those. And yeah, so because, I mean, if, if other institutions see that we are being annoying and traveling. Um, mm, I bet they did. And they are, <laughs> yeah. And also, like we are, we create bad reputation for them. We are, we are. I mean, the, the news that they are receiving toxic money uh, starts growing. So, so it's either their reputation or a sponsor that is actually not giving a lot of money, which is actually, yeah, not, doesn't mean much. So, yeah, they make the right choice. 
<laughs> that I mean, funny enough, that last piece is um, is, is is quite an interesting point I wanted to pick up upon. I mean, in London, I don't know whether it's true, but the impression one is given by some of these huge uh, museums, you know, the Royal Academy, the Tate, they, they're all hooked up with the money laundering banking scene, the fossil fuels industry, and they do put on blockbuster shows. They put on shows that, you know, like the London West End Theatre Land does bring people to London. Um, I think, you know, most people realise, even the ones running those institutions, that we have to move on and change. But where can they get the same money from elsewhere? Do we have to give up the blockbuster Monet, the blockbuster Picasso, the blockbuster Van Gogh exhibition if we're not prepared to let big pharma, big money or big oil pay for it? Yeah, that's a question that we always get, but it's, it's, I mean, these institutions have like, like huge budgets and, and they have the best fundraisers they, there, there are. So it's actually their job to, to find like ethical money. Um, and, 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 and there is ethical money. There is ethical money. And of course, one of the great things about actions like yourself is mm -hmm. whilst it, you know, reflects the, uh, the ill behavior back on some of these big polluters, these big companies. Um, that means that it encourages other, maybe financial institutions, pension companies and so on, to begin to come away to disinvest in some of these organizations. Yeah, I hope so. And it has to change because at the end, it actually even should be a, um, a national uh, um, policy. Like, 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 like we always use the reference of what happened with tobacco. Uh, mm -hmm. it, yeah, we all remember that uh, 20 years ago, it was the most common thing to wear uh, Marlboro logos everywhere. And it, it was banned and it was, and now we, we don't even think about it, but it was, um, it was now there are regulations that ban them. That, so these these companies are in blacklist that they cannot be, they cannot sponsor institutions. At the same time, they pension funds, for example, don't can't invest on those because they are in the blacklist. So we want to make sure that companies like BP and Shell get in the blacklist. Yeah, yeah. and remember, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, in your big arts institution, there was a a time when Formula One racing, motor racing said it could not exist without Marlborough, without uh, John Player Special. But of course, it threw out all of those sponsors. And now it is, if anything, stronger, making even more money. Uh, it has to be said, they've moved in with some other oppressive uh, organizations. Um, Teresa, I'm going to play one song now, and I'm going to come back. And I'd like to talk to you about if we can begin to create a toolkit for people. Toolkit? toolkit for people to create actions to get where they want to be great we are talking to Teresa Bow from Fossil Free Culture Nederlander um, we've already gone through um, the birth of Fossil Free Culture Netherlands um, and we've established that you Teresa have been pretty successful starting with the Van Gogh Museum 
Um, how does one prepare an action that is going to achieve its end? I mean, it, in some ways, it, it's not actually that easy to achieve an action that gets publicity, but how do you make sure that your action is actually working towards your goal? There are many, I think there are many things to consider, but I, I think the most important thing that I would say is that you have to see your action as part of a strategy. Mm -hmm. um, because many activists organize actions, are very good at organizing actions, but those actions are isolated from a longer or bigger strategy. So what we do is, is to, we outline uh, a strategy which, which consists of a series of activities uh, um, in which an actions are, are, are part of it, are one of those activities, but are not the only ones. We, we see it as a, a strategy, as a kind of roadmap. Um, you've been very successful in your actions. I mean, uh, Harry Ross, who's an, my colleague at The Hive, has put you down as a hit rate of five out of 10, and you're still working on the other five. Let's work with that, that's 50%, that's pretty good. Um, how do you make an action actually work towards your final goal rather than just being a bit of situationist theatre? Well, the, I, I, I already talked about the story about the strategy, I think. Um, yeah? Yeah, yeah, no, you did. And just in case you missed it, ladies and gentlemen, um, no, the important thing is that I each, want, want, each action to works towards the strategy. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um... So we make sure the the actions are uh, attractive and that our that our message is clear through the images that we use. Um, we that, so that, that our actions can are like clear and 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 beautiful and we use a lot of art for that and 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 we make sure yeah the message goes everywhere. So we create publicity for for our message and our story. And at the same time, we make sure that we create bad publicity for our targets. So they they start like, we use this naming and shaming a lot. Uh, mm -hmm. We name uh, the truth, like why, why is it wrong to receive uh, fossil fuel money in times of climate disaster? And, and, and we shame them with that. And, so we, we we make sure that in every action there's a clear uh, press release and all our media contacts are in place. Um, and so how, how do you make, because um, your actions have been artistic actions, um, you know, nowadays people like Extinction Rebellion, they glue themselves to things which are more more political, if you like. So your actions have been more artistic. In fact, um, the person who seems to have followed your lead is someone like Nan Golden in her fight against Big yeah. Pharma. Um, how, how do you, what's the creative process? How do you, so you're, you know you're going to the Van Gogh Museum, you know that you want them to stop getting Shell to sponsor the next exhibition. What's the creative process? How, when you sit down and what are we gonna do? How, how does that work? Yeah, we brainstorm on metaphors and and 
yeah, like different leads on 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 how what would be the right metaphor to 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 convey the story. And most of the times we use uh, stories that that the museum present and 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 like that we hack their stories. Like the the the, the example that I gave you about um, Van Gogh's illness exhibition. There's been many of those. There was one exhibition that. In the Van Gogh Museum about the, the importance of nature and landscapes of the work of in the work of Van Gogh and other artists of his generation. So we immediately created a dying forest uh, in in the middle of the museum, um, representing how Shell is destroying nature all over the world. So we we research on yeah on their stories what are the leads that can that that we can use to transform those stories and tell our own story with metaphors um and 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 we do always we always try to do it in a poetic way um that is clear but it's poetic at the same time yeah it's hard to explain i mean it's uh, uh i i went to art school and i've been practicing art for for many many years so it's something that becomes comes more natural maybe is all your one of the things that I would say is also involve artists in your groups. Um, um, artists yeah. have this, yeah, more I mean, box thinking. Yeah, and and uh, you know that that funny enough that is that's very very important advice. Even on the very basic premise, you have to if you're going to have an action, you have to have a poster, and who's going to design a poster if it's not an artist? And um, we. I was, uh, I've been involved really very deeply in only one uh, campaign of a political nature, which is I live on a big council estate in North Kensington, just by Grenfell Tower. And our local council decided that what they wanted to do was to knock all our homes down and to build some new homes. They kind of promised us we'd have, if we were really lucky, we'd have, you know, I'm an owner, so I'd have the chance to double my mortgage for half the space. Some of the council tenants would have been allowed to stay there, but most people would have been moved on. And as we know, as we learnt during lockdown, unbelievable numbers of property in London are, you know, not occupied. So we we were very lucky. We were very unified. And I suppose when you're fighting against fossil fuel, uh, most people, most young people, most people of an artistic persuasion understand that um, it's it's a it's a it's a good enemy. But in some ways, we when I was fighting my campaign, and we were also successful as as you are, when we had the motivation of trying to save our homes. You know, even if we got another home, it was going to be twenty years of disruption. It was a very personal. Uh, driving force for you your campaigns are slightly more uh, abstract uh, they're less tangible you're trying to save the world you know unbelievable as it may seem there are still people who don't believe that fossil fuels are contributing to our downfall um, how do you keep people focused when they haven't got uh, an aim as visceral as saving their homes Yeah, what a great question. Because um, if you have a slight setback, 
you know, oh, that we tried that, it didn't work, it wasn't in the papers. I can imagine some people would go off and do something else. Yep. Um, there are many, I think there are many ways. I mean, it's it's just bringing the stories of the people that are impacted right now by by climate change, bringing them here. Because uh, if it's it's not that it's not, affecting it's, it's not affecting our uh environment right now but it's affecting the, i mean it's affecting the world right now just somewhere else um but so yeah it, ladies and gentlemen i don't know if you want to look at the news but there are floods in bangladesh there are floods all over the world there's you know droughts in other parts of the world um you say funny if you say that, but in England we've just had you know I can't remember what the what what the figures are, but you know we constantly have the hottest day, year, month, yeah. ever. So even you know even in pretty old England, you know you have to have your eyes closed not to see what is going on. Yeah, it's 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 so it's so tangible right now. We we had the same thing here uh, a week ago. The we're breaking uh, heat waves and heat waves and records and records. Um, and, and right now what's happening in California, it's unbelievable. Uh, um, so I think, yeah, I think you need to be blind to not, not to see that it's, it's happening right now. Uh, it's not affecting your home, um, but, but it will. And, 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 and another thing that is important is to connect uh, climate change with other crises in the world because climate change is going to increase racism it's already increasing um, the rise of the right and extreme politics and uh, um, because of course it, 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 um, I mean climate change it affects more climate yeah. change is is um, is increasing migration I mean whatever you think about migration and many of us think it's fair and Many of us know that you know we need an immigrant population, but it's it's creating migration either because of disasters, simple nat natural disasters. Many of the wars that are going on around the world are caused by fights for resources, be it water, yeah. uh, and they are being exacerbated by climate change. Um, we've got about five, six minutes left. We need to find some hope here. We need to find some blue sky because it's very easy for those of us who are conscious and aware to become depressed, you know. Oh, they've done this, they've done that. Donald Trump's got rid of these regulators. There's another fire here, you know. Oh, how are we going to... There must, there must be some hope, yeah? Definitely. And I think, I mean, it's just switching the narrative. Um... We've been told that it's unrealistic to think that we can live without capitalism, without the system, without fossil fuels. But it's, it's the opposite. It's that the system the, is right now is is not realistic uh, because we would need like seven planets to keep on burning fossil fuels. To uh, I mean I don't know exact like mm -hmm. the exact numbers, but it's is a most unrealistic thing. So. So the, we, we activists, we've been told all the time that we are unrealistic, but it's, it's the opposite. I think we are very realistic and we need to find these reals in, in the alternatives, in, 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 in ways of living, living differently, not only without fossil fuels, but like without 
inequality without, I mean, you name it. Yeah. Um, it's funny, isn't it? Because um, as everyone probably out there knows, we've just had a global pandemic and many of yeah. us had to go and stay at home for two months. Everything stopped. I remember when I was younger, you know, when I had stresses, when I had work, I had maybe money problems, whatever. You'd say to yourself, oh, if only the world would stop for a week. It did stop for a week. Um, at the beginning, there was talk of universal uh, income. There were basic income. We were talking about never flying again. Um, last year, Extinction Rebellion was going to change the world. Uh, again, earlier this year, Black Lives Matters seemed to be about change the narrative. So many of these things last for a moment and then we go back to our apathy. How can we keep people conscious and motivated? Oh, what a difficult one. I thought you were going to say art because, of course, art can constantly renew the message. Art, art helps me um, dreaming about other possible ways uh, of, of, of living together helps me. Um, that, like no, knowing that it's possible and and just, I mean, the, to me, this is, this is just very personal, but it's, I, I dropped the idea of, of achieving a result. Like I'm, I might not see it in my lifetime that, um, that, 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 that we will live differently, but I am, but it gives me hope to, to know that I am in the right path that I am, I am in the process of, and, and my, my ancestors started this process and, and, and next generation will continue this process. So it's just a flow and, um, and, and time. I mean, we are so insignificant as, as, as human species on, in, in the history of the planet. Mm -hmm. uh, we've created the, the, the worst of the worst, but we are so insignificant. So, so it's, it's far bigger than us. And, uh, no, and um, I'm sure that uh, I know their extinction was something to do with a comet or a meteor, but the dinosaurs probably thought they had it good before their extinction yeah. <laughs> event. We have to be careful that we don't write our own. Um, we have two or three minutes left. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing next, what your next project is. And I mean, we're delighted to be part of this international collaboration. We'd like to thank the embassy here and Harry and Helen, who I think you know from Rotterdam. Um, what are you doing next? Well, I can't reveal uh, everything right now because we're in the process of um, creating a new strategy mm -hmm. and starting a new campaign uh, with a different institution. So, um, as you said, there are right now only three uh, institutions in the Netherlands, four, sorry, receiving, uh, accepting money from fossil fuels. Wow, that so, is brilliant. That is That's brilliant, and uh, and uh, so we are gonna continue, and at the same time we are gonna give more effort and gonna put more time into trainings. Um, so we pass on this uh, methodology that we've had, uh, uh, yeah, practiced and 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 gathered throughout the years. So more and more activists um, uh, will start their own uh, groups and their own campaigns 
So I think, I mean, in in a, in a year or two, we will be finished with all the uh, cultural justice in the Netherlands. So we have to move on. And what does it mean really to to ha to create a fossil-free culture? And and because culture, in the broader sense, uh, yeah, so yeah, we're 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 in a in a very exciting moment of thinking about that. Yeah, though, um, I mean, you have done a fantastic work here. Um, we mustn't forget, you know, that um, the Tour de France is about to start this weekend. And the most successful current Tour de France team used to be Team Sky, is now Team Ineos. Many people out there may not know, but Ineos is the UK fracking company. Uh, I have many friends. Bez from the old Happy Mondays is, has fought valiant battles. It's a cause that unites, you know, hardcore activists with also the nice middle-class people in the home counties. Um, so we mustn't, we must keep, uh, we must keep pushing. And you've done brilliant work in ridding the cultural institutions. The next move, obviously, would be things like to get the pension funds to divest, uh, divest from there. Um, we salute you. Teresa, thank um, you. How can if people want to know more about what you've done and are interested in finding out about your toolkits that you would be producing as part? What yep. have you got? You are what should they do? How they find you? Well, you can go to www.fossilfreeculture.nl mm -hmm. and and there you can find our contact. Uh, you can find uh, and and there's a blog that we published uh, a while ago with our principles and toolkit, mm -hmm. all the lessons that we learned in uh, in the campaign in the Van Gogh Museum, and you can always shoot us an email contact at fossilfreeculture.nl, um, and we'll be happy to get in touch. That yeah. is fantastic. Well, I hope next year when we do the pavilion that we'll actually be able to meet each other in yeah. uh, a real space Yay. it's been a delight and a joy to talk to you uh you've done fabulous work and we salute you thank you and likewise really nice talking to you great uh you have been listening to uh teresa bow fossil free culture netherlands one of this run of pavilion hive talks portobello pavilion hive talks we are juiced to be able to bring you all these fabulous people from around Europe and I think we'll leave you with this uh, it's our own Portobello radio comment on the culture of growth thank you Trace. you are listening to Portobello talk radio the authentic voice of Flatbrook Grove <laughs>